0: Today's scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 13, verses 14 through 19. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, King of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Most of us were, I'm sure, were raised on the old adage Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And of course the idea there was to kind of stiffen our resolve against insults, against name-calling and bullying and the like. It was meant to teach us that, you know, a proper response to such words is not anger or being hateful, or spiteful, or even violence, But soon we learned that that adage just isn't true. I don't know who came up with that. We learned that sticks and stones hurt, but so too can words. And in some cases, words hurt more. They cut deeper. And they last longer, often carrying more force and more power. We understand this because the Bible reminds us that the universe was shaped and formed by words. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. Words have power. They shape our everyday, our everyday reality. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible reminds us that death and life are in the tongue. And those who live and those who love it will eat its fruits. The promises of God come to us in words. The Bible is called the Word of God. We are those in whom, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16 reminds us, in whom the Word of Christ dwells in all of its richness. We are men and women and children of God. That's where we are. That's what Elijah was. Elisha was called, Elisha was called the man of God. Not because he performed miracles, beloved. That's not why he was called the man of God. He was called the man of God because he spoke the word of God. The people of God carried the word of God. Elisha was the man of God. Because he brought the word of God to the people of God. And good or bad, tough or tender, most of the people appreciated and respected the word of the Lord. And this is what we see in our text this morning. This is what we see in our text remarkably. As we approach these last days, how important is the word? how important is the word these were the last days of the prophet elisha and even the bible reminds us here that even the great healer couldn't heal himself for the text reminds us of the certainty of mortality even for the man and the woman of god verse 14 Chapter 13, the Bible says that Elisha had a fallen sick with an illness of which he was going to die. And when the king, King Joash, when he heard, when he got word of Elisha's sickness, notice what the Bible says in verse 14, continue, it says that he went down to see him And wept over him. The king went down to see Elisha, the man of God. And he wept over him. Now this is interesting. This is interesting because the kings had not necessarily had a friendly relationship with Elisha. Elisha, like Elijah before him, had spoken out. Had spoken out against the idolatry of the royal family. And had even prophesied against the royal family. And yet still, here he is. Even Joash, coming down to see the man of God. And not just see the man of God in his last days, but to weep. To weep over Elisha. Because, beloved, Joash knew where the real power, and he understood where the real respect was in the nation. It was with Jehovah God. It was with the word of God. It was with the man of God. And so then Joash comes to Elisha, weeps over him, And the Bible says he cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. That is so powerful. He understood. He understood the respect that Elisha had. And he understood just how important Elisha was to Israel, for he not only referred to him as father, a title signaling his respect for the man of God and the word of God, but he also recognized that Elisha represented what was the real strength. And victory behind Israel. Israel was not strong and victorious because they had chariots and horsemen. No, no. Their victory had been, always had been, in the Lord. The victory had always been in the name of the Lord. The victory had always been in the word of the Lord. And Elisha, therefore, represented the true chariots. He represented the true horsemen of Israel. And when Joash comes to Elisha, he's weeping and crying because he's like, what are we going to do? Here lies our chariot. Here lies our horseman. Elisha is dying. What are we going to do? And yet, again, beloved, it's amazing as we've been seen. Throughout this series of messages, what we see here again is the mercy of God to undeserving sinners. Joash was an undeserving king. An idolatrous king. A disobedient king. And yet in this moment of his distress... God showed him a kindness. God demonstrated to him a goodness. And the mercy of God here is not seen so much, beloved, in the bows and the arrows, but in the word and the promise of God. The word of faith. That is to be believed. He gives Joash a word of faith that is to be believed. Verse 15 through 17, it says, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot, and he said, the Lord's arrow of victory the arrow of victory over Syria. You shall fight the Syrians at Apek until you have made an end of them. It is important to remember, beloved. When you read this, it is not about bows and arrows. It is not about sticks and stones. It is about the word. And it is about faith. What has God said? Will you trust and believe it? Elisha instructed the king with bows and arrows to open the window and shoot an arrow toward Syria. Signaling God's promise of victory against the Syrians. Now notice, notice something very interesting in this text, that the promise of God to Joash is that he would not do it alone. Because, notice, that Elisha laid his hands upon the king's hands as he shot the arrow. Reminding Elisha, and reminding us this morning, I hope, that God's instructions never come without God's help. They never do, beloved. His never his instructions never come without his help. His promise is always accompanied by his presence. It's always there. In fact, that's the great promise of God. The great promise of God to his people is that I will be with you. Whatever ever promise God gives you, whatever other promise you are believing, the principal power behind that promise is the presence of God. He says, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Don't worry, Joash. Jehovah God will be with you. And the arrow then was a visible demonstration of the promise of victory. Because you do understand, beloved, that no one arrow was going to take down Syria. He could shoot that arrow all he wants to through that window. That arrow was not taking down Syria. This would only come through trusting, trusting the word of God, trusting this by faith. By faith, beloved, by faith. Because the victory in God always comes by faith. Whatever the challenge, whatever the challenge, faith and trust is the answer. Always is. Always is. This is always true. The Bible teaches and demonstrates this over and over and over again. Faith in God is the key to victory. Faith in God. Now I understand, I understand, I understand that in our lives, whenever we experience some type of victory or breakthrough, there is always some natural explanation for it. Always, always. Some, some explanation involving human effort or scientific explanation or some scientific achievement. There's always. But Listen. The Bible teaches us over and over and over again that whatever you see with your eyes or experience in the natural, there behind the shadows is the real power, the power of God in victory. Victory is not by horses or chariots. Victory is not by bows and arrows. You may see the bow. You may watch the arrow. You may ride in the chariot. Now that is not the reason for the victory. David didn't slay Goliath because he had a bigger rock and a bigger slingshot. Victory is by faith. But the Bible says, Zechariah chapter four and verse six, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Psalm 20 and verse 7 says it plainly. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. God told Joash that he would be victorious over the Syrians. He promised him. But listen. Implied in the promise is faith and trust. Implied in the promise is faith and trust. Joash understood, beloved, that he didn't have the horsemen. He didn't have the chariots. You see in chapter 13 and verse 7, you see his father left him barely enough horsemen and barely enough chariots for a parade, much less to go into battle with. He didn't have the horsemen. He didn't have the chariots. And, beloved, it's important to understand that the life of the Christian is the life of faith. It is the life of faith. Everything about our lives is faith. Everything. We walk by faith, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and and verse 7, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We see by faith, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We live by faith in in Galatians chapter 2 and verse twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. We live by faith. We walk by faith. Beloved, we are saved by faith. For by grace you have been saved, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, through faith, through faith, and that is not of your own doing. That is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. Nothing comes fruitfully or finally from God except by faith, by trust, by believing. That's it. I'll share with you a story real quick. By faith, we believe God. For this church building that you're sitting in. Now, some of you remember quite fondly and not so quite fondly, not so fondly, that finding a place to hold our weekly worship services was a challenge. It was a challenge. And it seemed like, it seemed like every, every week, Pastor Phil was spotting a new place (laughs) and getting all excited. And coming back and reporting to us. And we were spotting places and coming back and reporting to him. And every time it seemed like we'd get so close and it would fall through. And then this building came available. And I remember coming over here alone one afternoon and praying and asking the Lord, if this was the place for us. Being convinced in my own mind that it was, I laid hands on that corner of the building right out there when you first come in. Not only did I lay hands on this place, but I walked around this building seven times. (laughs) I did that. I did that. And then after walking around this building seven times, I prayed to the Lord that if this is the place, then let it be confirmed in others as well. And a few days later, he did just that. Now listen to me, beloved. Listen to me. I'm not saying, okay, that you find your Jericho and you march around it seven times. Okay, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you see some car you want in the lot and you go walk around it seven times. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you go find your house and walk... I'm not saying that you go home to your stubborn husband and while he sleep, you walk around him seven times. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm not saying that's what you do. Now, if you want to do that, that's up to you. If you feel you have to do that, that's fine. Well, I'm not saying that you have to do that. God did not tell me, okay? God did not tell me to walk around this building seven times. I did that because I wanted to say to myself, believe. Believe. Trust. Anything attained from God or accomplished in God is done so by faith. You got to believe. You got to trust. You got to trust. But you know, beloved, I get it. Faith can be a curious thing, it can. Sometimes it is truncated. Sometimes our faith gets compromised. Sometimes our faith gets short-circuited. And just sometimes it is hard to believe. It is hard. And many of us, myself included, we don't experience the joy and the victory in this life that we often should because we just don't believe. We don't believe. And for a number of reasons. Sometimes faith just gets too fanciful. I mean, if you had seen me walking around this building seven times, you might have thought I was losing my mind. It seems unnecessary. Unnecessary. he a cathead and say, man, man, we don't need to walk around that building seven times. Seems hard to grasp. Seems unreal. Seems impractical. What is the point? When that happens, the word of faith is soon compromised by a word of doubt and a word of disbelief what happened to king Joash in verse 18 after he had been so obedient and trusting the word of the Lord to shoot the arrow through the window notice what it says in verse 18 then Elisha said to him take the arrows And the king took them, and Elijah told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. Joash was to shoot the arrow through the window, beloved. He did that. He then was to shoot more arrows in the ground. He did that three times. And then notice what it says. He stopped. Now, I don't know. I don't know how many times he was supposed to shoot the arrows in the ground. But it was definitely more than three. It was definitely more than three. And this is what God does, beloved. God sometimes gives us difficult And the evening, and the even, kind of confounding situations that test the strains and the limits of our trust and belief, causing us to doubt. What does this have to do with anything? In the midst of it, it's like you come to yourself and you say, what does this have to do with anything? Why am I doing this? Like when he called Abraham to go and sacrifice Isaac. The whole time up the mountain, I'm sure Abraham is like, what does this have to do with anything? Like when he called Moses to speak to the rock. Moses said, why would I speak to the rock? That makes no sense. Like when he told Joshua to march around Jericho, Seven times. I'm sure by the third time, people in the crowd and Joshua himself are asking, What are we doing? Like when he told Naaman to go wash in the Jordan River seven times. Are you kidding me? What is The point. What do arrows in the ground have to do with anything? He shot one, he shot two, he shot three, and he probably said to himself, This is foolish. What am I doing? This was the king of Israel. He didn't come here in his mind to play games. Shooting those arrows into the ground probably made him feel weak. Made him feel helpless. But then again, Beloved, this probably is the point, isn't it? There are times in our lives where our trusting and believing God will seem strange, will seem foolish. But the foolish and the helpless is what God is looking for. Those who are willing to, to appear foolish in the eyes of the world for his sake. Those who are willing to look weak in the eyes of the world and helpless for the sake of Christ. as The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 27, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. The Bible reminds us in Luke chapter 14 and verse 11, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here, Joash refused to be humbled. He refused God's way. God's way became a stumbling block. A stumbling block to him. And the Bible says he stopped. He stopped. Do you hear that? He stopped. Why did he stop? I don't know. Why do you stop? Why do you stop coming to church? Why do you stop? Why do you stop giving? Why do you stop serving? Why do you stop praying? Why do you stop sharing? Why do you stop trusting and believing? Why do I often stop? Frustrated? Tired? Not seeing the fruit of your labors? Feeling un- or underappreciated? Not hearing from the Lord? Not knowing what's next? I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes, beloved, it's hard, and I stop. Sometimes it's frustrating, and you stop. It seemed useless to Joash, and he stopped. Sticks and stones make us stop. Mean words and attitudes make us stop. And you know what happens when you stop, beloved? Beloved? You know what happens when you stop coming? You know what happens when you stop giving? You know what happens when you stop sharing? When you stop praying? When you stop believing? You short circuit the victory, you undermine the joy. And every time that happens to me, I feel it. And then, beloved, I am reminded this morning once again that as hard as it gets and as hard as it becomes, I am so glad that Jesus didn't stop. He didn't stop. Jesus didn't stop. Somebody say he didn't stop. He didn't stop. He didn't stop, beloved. Bruised and battered, he didn't stop. Sticks and stones, he didn't stop. Mocked and mutilated, he didn't stop. Rejected and abandoned, he didn't stop. The blood came streaming down and he didn't stop. He cried out, My father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't stop. Humiliated to death, even death on the cross, and he didn't stop. He didn't stop. Because, beloved, Victory is always by faith. It's always by faith. And not faith in myself, not faith in some politician, not faith in some preacher, but faith in the one who wouldn't. Faith in the one who couldn't stop. As Dr. King would say, I'm so glad he didn't stop. When the enemy comes, he's gonna come this week. Mark my words. He's coming this week, he might even come today. But he's coming, beloved, and when he comes, he's going to tempt you to stop. And you tell him, victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. I'm not stopping. For the glory. For the goodness. And the power and the strength. And faith. In Jesus Christ who didn't stop. Let's pray.